is the Locked On Aggies podcast, your daily source of everything Texas A&M athletics. I'm Taylor Travis. I'm your host at TaylorTravis15 on Twitter, the Locked On Aggies podcast. A part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. A lot to get to today. Today was the weekly press conference, the Texas A&M football weekly press conference. They uh, look back on the loss Saturday to number one Alabama, 45-23. to And they also looked ahead to the Arkansas game on Saturday. A lot of really uh, interesting storylines in that game that we'll get to later. Also, uh, we'll hit a mailbag question that I got today that I read and I thought was very interesting and I thought it's something we need to touch on. And basically, the listener asked me, after watching the Kentucky-Mississippi State game, am I any more concerned about Kentucky and am I any less concerned about Mississippi State? In other words, do I think Kentucky might be a little bit better than we all thought? And do I think Mississippi State was a little bit overrated? I thought it was a very valid question considering both teams are on Texas a and schedule. Kentucky coming up this Saturday after this coming Saturday, if that makes sense. This Saturday after the Arkansas game, I guess I could say. Uh, Mississippi State coming up a little bit later in the year. So still plenty of time before that game, but it's still a good talking point. It's still something that I want to touch on just a little bit. Also, this came out uh, yesterday. The Texas A&M-Kentucky game is going to be a night game at Kyle Field. I know how much Aggie fans love those night games at Kyle Field. I know uh, myself as a student, I love the night games because A, it wasn't 113 degrees outside all the time and I wasn't dying of dehydration by halftime. But two, the atmosphere was just so much better. It was a night game. It seems like it was always a lot louder when Kyle Field was under the lights. And more often than not, during a night game, it was just, it was a big game, pretty much. And it is against Kentucky. It's a big SEC game. The thing about the SEC is there's so many talented teams that you can lose week in and week out. Any team can beat you because they're just so talented. So 6 o'clock, well, 6 o'clock or 6.30. It depends on the other games. Depends on how those play out. But it's either going to be at 6 o'clock on ESPN or 6.30 on ESPN2 or the SEC Network. Kentucky coming in the game at 4-0, undefeated. Great start for Mark Stoops and the Kentucky Wildcats. Texas A&M 2-2 at 500. Two tough losses to two of the best teams in the country, arguably Alabama and Clemson. I think there's no argument about Alabama, but I think Clemson's probably the third best team to Georgia. Georgia's looked really good this year, but Kentucky... We'll talk more about this later on in the show, but Kentucky's coming off that huge win against Mississippi State, a 28-7 to win, which really wasn't even as close as the scoreboard showed. Now, it's a 21-point win. It's still you know, on the verge of being a blowout, but Kentucky just dominate, dominated that game in every area. Offense, defense, special teams, Mississippi State just couldn't get anything going on offense. The Kentucky defense just played really well. Benny Snell, who I think is a sleeper Heisman candidate at this point, had 165 yards, four touchdowns. I think he's the best running back in the SEC. You can make an argument that he's one of the best running backs in the country. He's looked really, really, really good early on in the year. And if Kentucky continues to win, if Kentucky continues to uh, uh, play at the level that they're playing at, I think Benny Snell is going to be in the Heisman conversation by the time the season's over. There's no doubt about it. But again, the game will either be at 6 o'clock or 6.30, just depending on how the other games play out and where the networks want to pick up each game. It's going to be at Kyle Field, a night game at Kyle Field. That's something to be excited about. I am, for sure. I'm excited about that. Uh, also, the Arkansas game coming up on Saturday. Do you want to touch on that just a little bit? There's a lot of really interesting storylines in that game. Uh, number one, it seems like we see every year teams who play Alabama, and whether they play Alabama close I don't really want to say that AM played Alabama close, but they definitely had their opportunities to stay in the ballgame. 
Uh, it wasn't the blowout that we've seen from Alabama. I mean, what I mean by that is they beat Louisville, I think it was, what, 51-14. They killed Arkansas State, then beat Ole Miss 62-7. to So it wasn't that level of a blowout, but Alabama still, they were in control of the game for about two and a half quarters, I would say. Easily two and a half quarters, but it seems like every time we see a t- uh, not just a Texas A&M team, but really any team play Alabama, the next week that team comes out flat. It's like they're emotionally and physically hungover, and it's because Alabama, they're so physical. They really are a very physical team. There's really no team in the country quite like them. They wear you down physically. They wear you down mentally, and it's really tough to bounce back from a game like that, come out, and play your full potential. It really is. So this game on Saturday, what I expect to see, and I hope I'm wrong, but what I expect to see is I expect to see a Texas A&M team that I don't want to say sleepwalks, but it's just a little bit hungover. It's a close game at halftime, maybe like a 20 to 13 type game. And then the second half is when Texas A&M runs away with it. Because let's be honest, Arkansas is not a good football team. They're the worst team in the SEC by far. They lost to North Texas pretty handily. Uh, They're just a really bad football team. I like Chad Morris as a head coach. I really do. I think he's a really good football coach, but he's going to need two or three years to turn that program around because his style of offense, the style of football that he plays is so different from what Brett Bielema did at Arkansas that it's not like it was going to translate right away. He needs to get his own players on campus, and it's something that's going to take some time, and I think the people at Arkansas know that as well. But there's some really good storylines. Speaking of Chad Morris, he's an Aggie, and during SEC media days, he was asked a couple times if he's excited about playing A&M, and he didn't really answer the question which leads me to believe that maybe he wanted the AM job and maybe he's a little bit upset that he didn't get it. I don't know. It was just interesting how he was dodging that question during SEC media days. Maybe at some point this week I'll go up, I'll, I'll go online and try to find that clip and play it for you. But it was really interesting how he was dodging that question. Also, former Texas A&M defensive coordinator John Chavis, now the Arkansas defensive coordinator. It'll be interesting to see him on a different sideline. It'll be interesting to see the AM offense go up against him. Uh, I think John Chavis is a really good defensive coordinator. I was surprised it didn't work out at Texas A&M. But if you look at the talent that he had on that defense, it seemed like it was always really thin, especially at linebacker. And as a defensive coordinator, if you don't have the talent there, it's hard to put that quality product on the field. So I don't really think it was completely on John Chavis. I still think he's a really good defensive coordinator. But it's going to be interesting to see him on the Arkansas sidelines instead of the A&M sidelines. So a lot of really good storylines going into that game. Uh, after this, though, I do want to talk a little bit about the press conference today. We're going to hear from Jimbo Fisher just a little bit. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about Vivid Seats. Now, I'm a big sports guy. I love going to sporting events. I'm also a big music guy. I like concerts. I really just like any live event, whether it's a concert, a sports game, a show, whatever it is. But whenever I go to look for tickets, I go to one place, and that's Vivid Seats. And right now, Vivid Seats has a really special offer that they're giving my listeners. They're giving them a promo code an exclusive promo code. And if you use that promo code, you can receive $20 off orders of $200 or more and save even more money. Now that promo code is locked on. So go to the app store, go to Google Play, download the Vivid Seats app, use promo code locked on for $20 off orders of $200 or more. That's $20 off orders of $200 or more. But there's one catch. You have to be a new customer. So if you're a new customer, if you've been going to some of those other places to buy tickets, well, go to Vivid Seats, Sign up, use promo code Locked On. my special code, Locked On. You'll get $20 off orders of $200 or more. Also, every purchase is backed by 100% buyer guarantee. 
So from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app, enter promo code Locked On for $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. This is the Locked On Aggies podcast. I'm Taylor Travis, your host, the Locked On Aggies podcast, your daily source of everything Texas A&M athletics and a part of the Locked On podcast network, your team every day. If you're just a college sports fan listening to this podcast, I have some exciting news for you because the Locked On podcast network is expanding more and more deeper into college sports. We have Locked On Wolverines, Locked On Buckeyes, Locked On Seminoles, Locked On Sooners. The list goes on and on, and we're continuing to expand every day. So if you're a college sports fan, and you haven't seen your team's podcast out yet, I can assure you it's on the horizon. So keep checking on a, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, Megaphone, wherever you listen to your podcast. And I'm sure that podcast will come out soon. The Locked On Podcast Network is continuing to expand, continuing to do big things. And I'm excited to be a part of it as your host of Locked On Aggies. Today, Texas A&M held their weekly press conference. They recapped the Alabama game. They looked ahead to the Arkansas game. Jimbo Fisher spoke to the media to start things out. And uh, one thing he said that stuck out to me is he always spends the first eight or so minutes of his press conference just recapping the game before in such detail. And as a journalist, as a radio guy, I appreciate that. I really do. But one thing he said is he definitely critiqued his team on some of the things that we talked about on yesterday's show, you know, giving up sacks to Kellen Mond, some of the poor play in the secondary, the poor tackling, some of the missed opportunities, some of the turnovers. He definitely addressed that. But one thing he did say, and this is something I touched on on yesterday's show, but he said that one thing his team did that he can't knock him for, one thing his team did that he wants to see week in and week out, is his, his team competed. And that's what this Texas A&M team, the team did. They competed really hard, start to finish, and I commend them for that. Jimbo Fisher commended them for that. And I thought that was really cool how he pointed that out. And he said, you know, it's a process. It's about getting better week to week. And he believed that Texas A&M did get better last week. And they will be a better team against Arkansas on Saturday. So again, Jimbo Fisher started his press conference just commending his team for the toughness they showed for dealing with adversity. Remember, the second play of the game, Kellen Mond threw an interception. Alabama struck back to a Tungo Vilo to Devontae Smith, a 30-yard touchdown pass on the very next play. At that point, it's 7-0. Texas A&M could easily hung their heads and said, you know, hey, we know who we're going up against. Alabama's good. It's going to be hard to bounce back from. They could have easily just rolled over, which I said on yesterday's show, that's what a Kevin Sumlin team probably would have done. But no, Texas A&M bounced back. They tied it right back up, 99-yard drive. But Jimbo Fisher addressed that and said, hey, I'm really happy with the way my team responded to adversity. And he said, this is going to be the type of team that Texas A&M is moving forward. So that's got to be exciting for your Texas A&M fan Another thing that he addressed a little bit later on in the press conference was Texas A&M currently has three defenders out with an injury who are slated to return either in the near future or later on in the year. One of those guys, Kildrick Carper, he's a defensive back. We talked on the show yesterday about how poorly that secondary played, those defensive backs played. Kildrick Carper, a guy with experience, is a freshman. He had 26 tackles last year, a tackle for loss, the pass breakup, appeared in 12 games. Uh, again, he has experience. That's something the secondary needs right now. But Jimbo Fisher talked about his injury, gave him a time frame. Another player out for Texas A&M is Clifford Chapman. Chapman, he's an interesting guy because last year, if you remember, he didn't play. He was academically ineligible. He took the year off. He uh, worked his butt off, quite frankly, to get back on the field. And he's uh, he's made his return. But he's dealing with a bit of an injury right now. As a freshman, he appeared in all 12 games, mostly on special teams. 
But you look at the way he's built. He's 6'5", 195. He's a really rangy guy. He has speed. Another piece that Texas A&M is missing in that secondary. Another piece that the secondary would definitely welcome when he returns. Because, again, against Alabama and against Clemson, that secondary was exposed a few times. And they can use all the bodies. Not just the experience, but the bodies that they can get at this point. And the third guy out with an injury is Michael Clemens. Michael Clemens, the defensive lineman. He, uh, he has a lot of experience as well. He played last year as a sophomore, 19 tackles, three tackles for a loss, and the sack appeared in all 13 games. The defensive line overall for Texas A&M has been playing well, but you can never have too much depth. So when he returns, it's going to be a big addition to this Texas A&M team. So let's go ahead and hear from Jimbo Fisher what he had to say about those injuries. By the way, all this audio is courtesy of WTAW and College Station. Carpet's very important. I mean, you saw that with the lack of, I mean, you know, Leon went in, played, did a great job as a young freshman, but you wish you had a more experienced guy to help in that rotation to take less reps off. But, but you know, he, Leon did a great job in the game. Carper should be back in practice. He'll be back in practice this week. Chapman, um, hoping is a couple weeks out. He's still recovering, but is healing well. And Clemens, from a healing standpoint, I think is very, very close. So it's just a matter of doctors and, and the pain tolerance, what he can take from what I understand. So there you go. Carper on the verge of returning, which is big news for the secondary. Chapman still a little ways away, but he should be coming back in the near future. And that's good news about Michael Clemens as well, who Jimbo Fisher uh, seemed to indicate that it probably won't be this week, but next week, maybe, maybe the week after. It's just a matter of, like he said, the doctor's clearing him and how much pain he can take. Sometimes just because you're clear doesn't mean it doesn't hurt bad. So we'll see how long it takes those guys to get back on the field. Uh, I mean, secondary, especially Chapman and Carper, they can't return soon enough. Another thing that Jimbo Fisher addressed was the offensive line. Now, we talked about the show, on the show yesterday that the offensive line against teams like Louisiana, Monroe, and Northwestern State overall has looked fairly good, but they've looked really bad against Clemson and Alabama, and that was concerning to me because what that says to me is that whenever the offensive line goes up a good defensive front, they're going to have problems. And you look at that Texas A&M schedule, there's a lot of teams with really good defensive fronts, Auburn, Mississippi State, Kentucky. LSU, the list goes on and on. So the offensive line has to improve to give Texas A&M a chance moving forward. But Jimbo Fisher was asked about the offensive line, and his answer kind of surprised me. He said he's been pretty pleased with the way they've been playing overall. It's just a matter of cutting down on the mistakes. Well, I think there's some struggles, but I think there's some real good things. I mean, you, you put 501 up against – you don't put 500 yards up against Clemson without a good offensive line. You don't put 400 yards, have 440 yards of positive offense against Alabama without the offensive line doing a good job. Do we have mistakes? Yes, and they exploit those without a doubt. But I, I think we've had some struggles, but I don't think we've had drastic struggles against – you're playing as good a people as there are in college football. And I still think there's a lot of good being done in the offensive line. So there's some struggles, but there's a lot of good. There's 900 yards of offense in two games against arguably the two best defensive football teams in America. So Jimbo Fisher, not really as displeased, I guess, if you will, with the offensive line as I thought he would be. He did address the fact that they have made mistakes, and it showed Kellen Mond being sacked seven times against Alabama. But he does bring up a good point about the total yards against Alabama and Clemson. He, I guess what he's saying is they're doing just enough against some of the best teams in the country for Texas A&M to move the football. And I guess when you take that into consideration, the fact that you just played the two best teams in the country and you have such a young offensive line, and overall they played good enough, I'm sure there's positives you can take away. I'm sure there was good things. But at the same time, I'm sure a lot of that, to me at least, in my opinion, was coach speak. I'm sure there's a lot of things Jimbo Fisher wants to see the offensive line doing better. But we'll see how it goes moving forward. Another thing he addressed that was interesting to me at least, we talked on the show yesterday about Kellen Mond and his maturity and his progression and his improvement from year one to year two, just from 
again, a maturity standpoint as a leader, his accuracy, his composure. Jimbo Fisher was asked out of the four games so far this year, Northwestern State, Clemson, Louisiana Monroe, and Alabama, which game to him, to Coach Fisher, did Kellamon look the best? I think all four games, you grow. And I think every game is different because the situations are different. What You, know, you, you get caught up looking at a quarterback statistically. You can't do that. Statistics only tell part of the story about how the momentum of a game goes, the flow of the game, the leadership of the game, how the sidelines reacting, how you're reacting, things you're being asked to do. And I think he's played a very, very – I mean, he's had two turnovers uh, in that deal um, all year, which was there last week. One was – I mean, it's inches when you're stepping up, and the other one, he's just trying to make a play, which, you know, you got to eliminate that. But he, I think he's played pretty well. He's missed, is there every read perfect? No. Is every throw perfect? No. But he's played pretty daggone well in the plays he's created and the competition level when he started to step up and never flinching when we get behind, whatever happens, rallying the guys. The guys have supreme confidence in him. So I think all four. I, I, I don't – whether we won him or lost him, I think he's really competed well as a quarterback. And I feel, you know, when you're calling plays and as a play caller, you can look into a guy's eyes and say, you know, he's got good numbers, but things aren't going well. And you, you can – there's senses it's hard to explain to the public. I've never gotten that out of him. I mean, every moment of every game, whether it's a mistake or a good play, he's into it. He understands it, why it's happening. It's played very consistent that way. And his competitive nature is super, his toughness. It really is. So Jimbo Fisher basically echoing what I had to say on the show yesterday about Kellen Mond. It's just mature-wise and just, it's really the things that you can't see on a stat sheet is what makes Kellen Mond so special this year, just from a leadership standpoint and just from his ability to check plays at the line to get Texas A&M's offense into a position to succeed has been really impressive to me. It really has. So another thing that Jimbo Fisher talked about that I talked about yesterday was the targeting on Donovan Wilson. Now, like I said, it was the right call. It's a dumb rule. But Jimbo Fisher was asked about that. And really what he was asked was, does the new targeting rule put the defensive player in a disadvantage? And does the offensive player have an advantage? Player, I, I think it makes it hard for the defensive guy. When it, but, but you can't ever tell an offensive guy, too, and, I, and, I, and I'm an offensive guy, I think it makes it very tough on defensive guys, no doubt. But at the same time, how do you tell a runner that he can't lower his head when guys are coming to hit him? and protect himself through his shoulders, or you're going to get – it's hard both ways. The thing you got to do on defense is you just got to be below the shoulders. you got to go back to old school tackling and get your shoulders and wrap up from numbers to the, to the waistline and the thighs and, and run through people, and you just got to lower your, your, your levels, and you got to see what you – and any – I don't care what it is, got to see what you hit, because I don't care if you hit low or hit high. That's when injuries occur to the neck, and, and those things happen when your head is down, and you got to do a better job. But to answer your question, yes, I think it's extremely tough. So there you go, Jimbo Fisher. Again, the targeting role is something that I think the NCAA needs to revisit over the offseason, because right now it's unfair to the players, it's unfair for the game, it's unfair – to the fans. It's just unfair all the way around. And there's something that they can do to make that better. I really do think there is. And I'm sure they will revisit that. And I'm sure next year the rule will be a little bit different. Uh, we need to talk about our mailbag question. But before we do that, I need to tell you about FanDuel. I, I've said it before. I'm a big fantasy football guy. I'm a big sports guy, period. So I love my fantasy football. And I'm sure you do too. But one thing I like about FanDuel, number one, it's daily fantasy. It's more opportunities to win money, to make different lineups. But what's new for FanDuel in 2018 is they have a lot of different types of games. And maybe my favorite game, I think the easiest game to play, is called Beat the Score. Now, what Beat the Score is, it's a new contest type where instead of having to come in top place among hundreds and hundreds of people, 
what FanDuel does, they set a preset score. Like for example, let's say that preset score is 200. If you score more than 200 points, you win money. It's that easy. You don't have to compete against anybody. It's just a preset score. If you can beat that score, you win money. It's simple. FanDuel's the best. It really is. I've used it for a long time. I hope you jump on board as well. I'll be playing uh, on Thursday for Thursday Night Football. I'll be playing through the weekend as well. So see me there, FanDuel.com. I recommend it. They've been good to me, and they'll be good to you too. Again, FanDuel.com. You're listening to the Locked On Aggies podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Travis, at TaylorTravis15 on Twitter. The Locked On Aggies podcast, your daily source for everything Texas A&M athletics. Also a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Aggies. And if you ever have a question for me uh, to put in the mailbag, you can either DM the show at Locked On Aggies, tweet the show. You can tweet me. You can also email the show, LockedOnAggies at gmail.com. That's LockedOnAggies at gmail.com. If you ever have a question about Aggie football, Aggie basketball, really anything Texas A&M athletics, you can ask me. I'm quick to respond. And more than likely, I will answer your question on the show. So uh, listener engagement is definitely encouraged. It makes the show go easier for me. And I enjoy hearing from my listeners as well. So again, if you ever have a question, uh, tweet me at TaylorTravis15. Tweet the show at LockedOnAggies or email the show LockedOnAggies at gmail.com. And speaking of a mailbag, I did get an email from a listener yesterday. It was last night when I got this email. And it was from John. It was from John. And he said... Hey, Taylor, after watching the Kentucky-Mississippi State game last week, do you think Kentucky's going to be a problem? And do you think maybe Mississippi State was just a little bit overrated? Uh, John, that's a good question. It really is a good question. It's something that, you know, while I was watching the game, I was kind of thinking myself because Mississippi State looked awful, and Kentucky looked like a really good football team. The final score was 28-7, but like I said before, I think that final score really didn't do the game justice as to how much of a blowout that was because Mississippi State really was never in the football game from the get-go. I mean, Kentucky just dominated that game in every aspect. Offense, defense, special teams. Mississippi State had a hard time getting anything going on offense. I mean, just look at what Kentucky did to stop Nick Fitzgerald. I mean, look at Nick Fitzgerald's line. He went 16-32, to completed just 50% of his passes for 145 yards, one interception, and on the ground, where Nick Fitzgerald's is most dangerous, 16 carries, 20 yards, he averaged just over a yard a carry, and one touchdown. So whatever Kentucky did to stop Nick Fitzgerald, it worked. It really did. And if you're a Texas A&M fan, that might make you a little bit concerned. Because if you look at Kellen Mond, he's a dual threat guy, much like Nick Fitzgerald. I think he's a better passer. But a part of what makes him so dangerous, he's able to run the ball, especially lately, how Texas A&M's offensive line has had a hard time opening up holes for Travion Williams. Kellen Mond's had to roll out of the pocket. He's had to call quarterback draws. But Kentucky, they stopped Nick Fitzgerald. They completely shut that, shut that down. He averaged just a little bit over a yard a carry. So if you're a Texas A&M fan, you're wondering, how good is Kentucky's defense? How good are they? I knew going into the year that they'd be improved, but from what they looked like against Mississippi State, especially that front seven, they looked like a really good football team, especially defensively. They might be a problem for Texas A&M. Texas A&M better be lucky. That's a night game at Kyle Field because they'll need the 12th man in that one. Another thing Kentucky did on the ground, Benny Snell, who, like I said before, I think is one of the best running backs in the country, the best running back in the conference. Kentucky only threw the ball 14 times. They ran the ball a ton. Benny Snell had 25 carries, 165 yards, four touchdowns. He's a really good player. Now, Texas A&M's run defense has been playing well overall. But they haven't seen a running back like Benny Snell. 
They have seen some good offensive lines, Clemson, Alabama, but they haven't seen a running back who even comes close to Benny Snell's talent. I mean, Damian Harris, Najee Harris, Alabama are really talented running backs, but Benny Snell is just a really, really good football player, and he might, I think he will be, the best running back Texas A&M sees all year. Now, on the Mississippi State side, to answer the second part of your question, I wouldn't say Mississippi State's overrated yet. Now, it's still pretty early to tell, but they do have a new head coach and Joe Moorhead, so there was already a lot of questions circling around that to uh, begin the year. But when you look at that Mississippi State team, there's a lot of talent on that roster. From Nick Fitzgerald, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC as far as how dangerous he is. He's definitely not the best passer, but as far as being a dual-threat guy who can beat you in more than one way, Texas A&M fans know as much as anybody. Nick Fitzgerald's a really good football player. They have good backs. They have Aris Williams. They have Kylan Hill. They have good running. They have good wide receivers, I should say. Uh, they have a really good defensive front. So to answer your question, I don't think I'm ready to call Mississippi State overrated. Now, there was people who said that they think Mississippi State might be a college football playoff contender. They might be able to win 10 or 11 games. They might be able to beat Alabama. If you're referring to that, then yeah, I think that's definitely overrating Mississippi State. I think they're a really good football team, but I was never really buying into the double-digit wins. I just didn't see it. As much talent is on that roster, there's just so many more teams in the SEC with more talent. That's just me, though. That's my opinion. I do think Mississippi State will still win eight or nine games. They're still a really good football team. And the thing about the SEC is you can lose to any team any given week because there's just so much talent in this conference. There's really no easy win. I mean, you look at Texas A&M's schedule, maybe Arkansas on Saturday because Arkansas is one of the worst teams I've seen in the SEC in a really long time. But you're still coming off that game against Alabama. You still got to be careful that you don't come out with a hangover because you could find yourself down at halftime in a hurry. I don't think that will happen, but it could. But there's really no gimme wins in the SEC. So to answer your question, yes, I think Kentucky's a problem for Texas A&M. I still think they'll take care of business there. I don't think Mississippi State's overrated. I still think Mississippi State's going to be a really tough game for Texas A&M, as is just about every game left on their schedule, aside from Arkansas and UAB, the Blazers. But, I mean, the rest of that schedule, you have Kentucky, who we just talked about. You have South Carolina who hasn't really looked as good as I thought they would, but they're still a really good team. You're on the road playing that game. Auburn, Ole Miss, who, you know, they've looked bad as well, but you also got to take into consideration the Texas A&M secondaries look pretty poor early on. They looked really poor against Alabama. Mississippi has the best receiving core in the SEC. That might be a problem. I don't expect it to be, but it might. It's not going to be easy. And then LSU is ranked number five out of nowhere, who I thought was going to win six games this year. I was wrong. I wasn't an Ed Orgeron believer. I am now. So I'll eat crow. Big fan of Ed Orgeron overall, as far as entertainment goes. He's a really good guy. That's going to do it for the episode. That's going to do it for Locked On Aggies on tomorrow's show. We'll start to break down the Arkansas game coming up on Saturday. But until then, thanks for listening to Locked On Aggies, the Locked On Aggies podcast, your source, your daily source for everything Texas A&M athletics. I'm your host, Taylor Travis, a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.